So you may have someone who's a passionate grower and has tons of knowledge around how to grow pot or wants to open a dispensary, but very little accounting knowledge. And so the spin culture has been a little bit out of control, to be honest. I will say the one area I see decent controls is cash. There's a lot of cash in this industry. And I think even the CEOs, whether they're young or old, get it, that cash can walk away in people's pockets really easily. And so you see lots of vaults in location and double and triple counts daily and whatnot. And so usually their cash is pretty well controlled. But as far as their spending and tracking it and budgeting and all that, this industry is in its infancy. And so literally we're talking about the ground up. Hi, I'm Danny. And I'm Nicole. Welcome to the Spend Culture Stories podcast, where we explore the connection between company spending and culture. Join us as we dive deep into understanding the people, processes, and tools that make up spend as a whole, or what we call spend culture. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Spend Culture Stories. Today, we have Andrew Hunziker. He is the president of CFO Ben, and he currently services uh, many verticals, such as the cannabis industry, biotech, and tech. He also runs Dope CFO, which he teaches accountants, bookkeepers, and CPAs how to successfully enter these kind of industries with a complete DIY accounting practice in a box training program. Thank you so much, Andrew, for joining us today. Maybe instead of me introducing you, you can give a little bit of an intro to yourself and why did you decide to start your own firm? Hi, Danny and everybody, and thanks for having me as well. I'll give you kind of the short background. I got my CPA in 95 in Oklahoma and worked in Big Four for like five years at Pricewaterhouse and Grant Thornton up to the manager level. And then I took a CFO job at a client in oil and gas industry in 2000 and was there about 10 years, uh, did many startups, kind of a family-run entity, but we started other subsidiary entities, so got got a good feel for that. And then we had a fairly large exit with a drilling company we launched in 2006 in 2010 to an S&P 500 company. And when that happened, I moved my family to Oregon, where we used to vacation, Bend, Oregon. And ever since I've been here, so about really late 2009, I've been just out here doing CFO work for a lot of high-tech companies out here from the Bay Area, so was involved in that. And then in about 2013, got involved in cannabis when it started becoming legalized in Oregon and quickly realized that was a niche that needed a, a lot of um, help and still does today. It's vastly underserved with accountants. It's a very complex industry. And there's no um, gap accounting for it. There's no industry guide for it. There's no Big Four guidance. There's, as a matter of fact, Big Four is not in cannabis. So it, it's very, very interesting. I've had a great time. Got clients, everything from grow to extract, dispensaries, labs, you name it. Um, about I had to recreate this stuff myself. I mean, starting as down to the chart of accounts. There's no chart of accounts in QuickBooks. There's no QuickBooks POS system for dispensaries. And so we had to kind of build this from the ground up. Um, our chart of accounts for each different sub-niche, farming, chemical manufacture, food production, and dispensaries evolved over a couple of years with many CPAs other than myself's input. And from there, we also built cost accounting work papers and that kind of thing. That evolved into our new company. People started just finding me. 
not even sure exactly how, but people literally kind of beat a path to my doorstep in Bend, Oregon and saying, hey, I hear you know about cannabis accounting. I hear you have a chart of accounts or you've got this or that. And so I started sharing stuff really for free and helping people for about a year in 2016. And then in mid-2017, we started the actual formal program, actually training CPAs, CFOs, EAs all over the U.S., bookkeepers. Um, I think we have 180 some odd students in 40 states now. So that's kind of the long answer to what we're doing. And um, is that enough or do you, I can keep going. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. I love how you said you identified a niche. Same with us. So we realized that there's a lot of cannabis businesses that are emerging out there. And um, one thing you mentioned this is that they don't actually have a basis for how they should do accounting, how they should manage their internal controls or how they should manage their chart of accounts. So that's really interesting that you've seen this from your end. And of course, you work very closely with these type of companies. What are some of the problems that you've seen in the cannabis industry for business owners when it comes to accounting and auditing practices? I tell people it's almost the reverse of normal industries. And so oil and gas is a good example. I was in oil and gas for 10 years. It's a very, very specialized niche of accounting. It's very unusual where you have share ownership in a lot of wells, and it's actually very confusing. But the way oil and gas accountants learn is they work at the big four or whatever, and then those accountants come out into their clients, and there's industry guides published and special gap published. And over time and decades, there's this great knowledge base of software and accounting and what whatnot for the niche. And it's kind of from the top down. Great accountants filters down the companies. Cannabis, since it was illegal federally, went reverse. Still today, Big Four is not in cannabis. So there is no industry guides. There is no gap. And QuickBooks does not support it either. So what you had was this exploding industry, which we all know about in the U.S., you know, 20,000 plus companies and very, very few CPAs even working there, much less knowing how to do it. And so nine out of 10 of these companies, even today, were served by people that are just bookkeepers, which is fine if they knew exactly how to do cannabis accounting, but most of them don't. I'd say more than half are trained by QuickBooks. And so they may have their QuickBooks Pro, they may have an accounting degree, which is fine, but very, very few have any idea how to do correct cost or absorption accounting or gap accruals or any of that. And so you had this industry with these CEOs starting out and they were going to look for accountants and just getting turned away. They still are. And so they were having to find whatever help they could. And a lot of them are just using people that are trying their best. They're trying to record transactions, but very, very base level bookkeeping we even see a lot of sloppiness. And I mean, I'm talking about the very, very basic level. You go to Home Depot, you buy a ladder for 50 bucks, you take the invoice, you scan it, you attach it to the transactions and QuickBooks. And so you have a good audit trail. We're seeing it's almost the old receipts are in a shoebox kind of method in this industry. It's slowly getting better, but we're talking about literally building accounting from the base up. And even, and this doesn't just apply to mom and pops. This is with big companies as well. We've had investors as well beat their path to my doorstep and say, I gave this CEO 5 million, 10 million, even more. And there were no accounting controls. Help us get our money out of this deal. So it's a very interesting niche. It's exploding right now. It's going to get bigger. Um, you're seeing 
lots of issues in the press. I mean, MedMen's a good recent big one where the employees are suing, the investors are suing, rapid growth, big valuation, but just not a lot of governance, controls, good accounting procedures in place. Can you maybe share with us maybe some examples of your clients, the horror stories you've seen surrounding internal controls of spending for cannabis companies? It's kind of a good and bad. So a lot of these cannabis companies early on, capital was was readily available. So many people wanted in and, and everyone from private equity groups or VCs down to lots and lots of angels, people that are worth two to 20 million. They got money and they just like, it sounds cool. I'm going to give them a couple million to start a farm. And we have one of our clients. He gave a couple of nice young guy and his wife, they're like 30 years old, um, gave them over time a couple million to build a farm and with absolutely no accounting. They weren't doing accounting at all. And so he finally came to us and said, hey, I think we need to be doing accounting. So we find we're getting hired sometimes by the investors as opposed to the CEOs. But their spend culture, because of that, a lot of these people who are running these companies, CEOs, good-hearted, nice people, passionate about this industry and the movement, but maybe not a ton of business sense. And I compare that to say high tech startups I worked with. Oftentimes I'd meet these Harvard educated MBAs that are founding these tech startups that are very smart about accounting and Excel and whatnot, even if that's not their expertise. In cannabis, we're not seeing that as much. So you may have someone who's a passionate grower and has tons of knowledge around how to grow pot or wants to open a dispensary, but very little accounting knowledge. And so the spend culture has been a little bit out of control, to be honest. I will say the one area I see decent controls is cash. There's a lot of cash in this industry. And I think even the CEOs, whether they're young or old, get it, that cash can walk away in people's pockets really easily. And so you see lots of vaults in location and double and triple counts daily and whatnot. And so usually their cash is pretty well controlled, but as far as their spending and tracking it and budgeting and all that, this industry is in its infancy. And so literally we're talking about the ground up. You know, it's just crazy to hear that um, there's like millions or even billions of dollars thrown into this industry from investors. And, you know, they're the ones saying, hey guys, like we got to you know, clean this stuff up, right? Very interesting. And so, for example, the MedMen lawsuit, I it kind of is humorous. I mean, a lot of these cases, there is a ton of humor in them in an odd way. But the investors of MedMen, they're suing and they're complaining, well, they're not doing anything right. And you're just, I'm sitting here scratching my head. Why on earth did you give them 10 or 20 million? Before you write the check for 10 or 20 million, you should make sure there's good accountants on board, corporate governance, controls, a good board, all that stuff. You know, it's hard for me to feel sorry for these rich investor that doesn't do that. And I've worked with so many investors in other industries, and they're very strict about before they write checks, about making sure things are in place. But for some reason, the rush to get into cannabis, um, people didn't always have these controls in place. And so I think that's what we're trying to teach for me and my students, of which there's almost 200 of us around the U.S. When CEOs come to us, we're pretty hard on them. We're the boss and not them. We're like, look, if you want to deal with us, accounting is going to be world-class from start to finish. Mm -hmm. We're not going to piecemeal any of it. It's going to be, we're going to do the cost accounting right. Everything's going to have an audit trail. 
we're going to do inventory counts and cash counts, and we're going to reconcile the different POS and systems daily and weekly and whatever. And by the way, we're incredibly expensive to hire us because no one's doing this and we're doing the best. And so you can take your pick, but if you want to hire us, you're going to pay us a lot. We're going to do it right. And hopefully you'll be thankful like most of our clients are. And anytime, I mean, this industry is emerging out of the black market. So you think about that too. So of the, say there's 30,000 companies down in the U.S. and many of them on the West Coast, I'd say, I don't know the statistics, but maybe at least a third of them, if not half of them, evolved out of the black market. And so what does that tell you? It tells you someone who was already in the black market coming into the white market this CEO or person was okay violating the law before. So to get that type of individual around the headset or the mindset that, oh, I need to comply with the state, with the IRS, with OSHA, the FDA, county, city, you go from no compliance to insane compliance. It's a tricky nut to crack. And so you're seeing these cases around, you know, I'm reading one right now, the District of Colorado, United States Attorney Office. This came out last week, Wednesday, February 20th. Lazy Lion Marijuana Businesses owners guilty of failing to pay $3 million in taxes. They just didn't pay taxes. And they were making over $10 million. So what does that tell you? A company doing $10 million in revenues. They ought to have money to pay accountants. That's a pretty wow. decent business. Yeah. <laughs> Same with Sweetleaf in Denver. They had 16 dispensaries. They are shut down, out of business. Those people will probably go to jail. They were doing over 50 million and we're doing things wrong. And it's just, you know, it's just like we just talk of case after case. And, and really 2019, we're going to see a ton more cases because the IRS was just really getting ramped up the last couple of years. This year is going to be a very interesting um, series of cases and stories. And I think, I think that's what it's going to take to get these CEOs and investors to wake up. Be like, okay, the winners in this industry are going to be the people that do it right. Another long answer to your question. <laughs> Absolutely. So, I guess, like, a uh, question for you is when these companies get past, like, the kind of startup stage, what are the processes changes that need to be made from an accounting standpoint? I would say the sooner you start, the better, even if you're a mom and pop. And that's the other interesting thing about this industry. You can have a, what appears to be a mom and pop. I mean, I've got a client in tiny Bend, Oregon, that has two dispensaries here that's going to do about $8 million in sales. So there's really not – small doesn't really exist. I mean, the outside of the building looks like a coffee shop, but coffee shop does a couple hundred grand in sales. So we say get those processes, controls, and systems set up at the, the very early stage because you're many of these companies are going to be there quickly. So the first thing is your team. You have to have Kind of if you start from the top level down, you want to have a good management team. You want to have a good board. You want to have a very, very good accountant, CPA, and not just a tax CPA once a year at the end of the year coming in to do a tax return, but doing the day-to-day -day accounting and cost accounting. You want good attorneys, and then they can help you build those internal controls and processes and systems. And this brings us to another point. We need a massive ERP that works. This relates back to my software days. What happens when you create new software? Well, usually it takes about 10 years for the winners to come emerge and many people enter the field of whatever software is and then you've got bugs and issues. And it takes sometimes decades for software to become really robust where you know it works. And so an example I give in our world, the two pieces of software I know I can pretty much rely on, whether I like them or not, are QuickBooks and Excel. They've been around for decades and they work, at least how they're supposed to work. 
Now in cannabis, so on the POS side, since QuickBooks isn't there, you have hundreds of new companies that have been trying to solve this problem from green bits on down. And I've worked with dozens of them. And for the most part, they work okay. I, like if I was grading them like on an A to F scale, they're all in the C to B range. And they all tell you they do everything and they do it perfectly, but that's not true. And so you have to work with those systems. Then another interesting issue in cannabis, almost every single state that allows it has a state seed to sale software system that they picked. They are all bad. The main three are Metric, MJ Freeway, and Biotrack. They are all really poor software, and you have to deal with that. That's just a fact of life. You have to record all your inventory every single day in those systems. It's required by law. And so we have to reconcile every month for a typical client, QuickBooks, Excel, Metric, or MJ Freeway to the state system, and then a POS like GreenBit. So we're usually cobbling together at least four pieces of software every month. Another reason you need good accountants, because the ERPs aren't there. I have worked with some of the ones that are there. On the SAP side, they have Viridian. Microsoft side, they have um, NAV365. And my clients have worked with them and fired them because they've spent thousands and thousands of dollars and got nothing really good, not what you would want in an ERP. And so I think there is not a winner in the ERP space yet, and it's it's vastly needed. So when you mentioned uh, ERP, I know with a software system like that scale, some companies may not be ready for it yet. We've seen um, instances where similar to software industries, they would have like a base accounting system and then they would have another system for maybe procurement and then they have another system for maybe, you know, CRM management. So in your opinion, how can a company maybe transition into that kind of more of a encompassing one and all solution? Well, first of all, I wouldn't recommend anyone in cannabis go down the ERP road until it's proven that so-and-so is the winner and it works. Um, the reason I say that, I spent a whole entire year with this company that was scaling and trying to get on an ERP system. And all we did was spend money and pull our hair out. And we ended up back, right back where we were at the start. It never got solved. So um, I would say be very, very careful of your dollars before you go down that road. So what that means is what you just said. Yes, many of these clients, we counted when I was CFO at Hi-Fi Farms. I forgot how many different systems we had. It was like 20 something. And so just on the accounting side, like I mentioned, you're stuck with metric if you're in Oregon. You're stuck with Excel. You're stuck with QuickBooks. You're stuck with a POS like GreenBut. So just on the accounting side, you're already at four pieces of software. Then, yeah, you have a CRM system or a procurement system or other apps that you're using and then all your social media stuff. And so it quickly gets to where you can have many different systems and pieces of software in place um, trying to run your business. And that that's a whole other issue. And then even not even just that, look at like HR systems or compliance, or you've got to deal with OSHA and the FDA. You need to make sure you're compliant with them. The state itself, each different state, like Oregon, we have a 90-page rule book. Everything from how tall your fence can be to how many days of backup tape you have to have, just every kind of rule you could ever imagine. Visitor badges, when visitors come. So you have to have someone really to be run well, have someone in charge of compliance because it is a full-time job, not just accounting. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with uh, what you said there is we need to start very early 
no matter how big the business is and have someone actually there to oversee the process before it's implemented to make sure that it works. That's also something that we've heard from some other auditors too, even in the big four. They mentioned that it's always good to start off early. We teach that to our students. So we have a system called our perpetual data room where we're we say a good company should be audit ready, investor ready, lender ready anytime, all the time. So if you call me up today and you say you're from the IRS or you're an investor and say you want anything, a bank statement, an invoice from three years ago, a lease, an organizational document, a summary of employees, whatever it is, hundreds of different documents from legal to HR to accounting to banking to whatever. It's at my, I can just send you a folder before we get off the phone call and you have it. And so we help clients build this, their servers, they own this, these documents. So they, they don't even have to call me. They can share it themselves, folder type structure. Um, and so we, we break it down into the various categories of operations, legal, accounting, HR, et cetera hugely valuable. It's mainly an organizational task. It's not something you need to have an advanced degree to do. Um, so we teach even our bookkeepers, you can do this for your clients. And so whether you go from the bottom up or the top down, so maybe an auditor shows up two years from now and they show you a balance sheet at 2016 that says your WIP is 800000 that's starting at the top, and we can break that down into, okay, what is the WIP? What are the components? Where is it in the trial balance? Where is it in our month and tie-out? Then that tr tracks back to actual invoices and, and actual counts of plants, actual estimated yields and percent complete and that kind of thing. So we can go down from the bottom, or we can go the other way and pull an invoice and work all the way up to the financials. And so we, we go up and down and it's hugely valuable. We've shown CEOs it's, it's valuable so they can give their information to their investors as they need it recurringly to their lenders. And when the auditors show up, which they do, especially in this industry, you're ready for them ahead of time. And the auditors always show up very late. And then when you come to exit, you'll be super happy that you've got this. That's why I call it a perpetual data room. It's already ready. These auditors, when they come in, what do they specifically look for, if you can give us a little bit of insight? So the IRS, on those auditors, you know, wearing different hats. So if the IRS comes in to audit you, they're going to be looking at everything. I think we tell our CEOs, I think the IRS is licking their lips around cannabis because it's just easy money. They can look at small companies, big companies, and they come in and they can see that you're doing your cost of goods sold and absorption accounting wrong. Um, I think that's originally what they're looking for. So in cannabis, 280E is the primary tax code, and 280E simply says it's only one sentence long. It says if you traffic, meaning sell or do any commercial endeavor around cannabis or any other drug, you cannot deduct anything on your tax return. So it's pretty clear you can't deduct anything, but then also in the IRS code, part of tax the definition of taxable income includes cost of goods sold. So that's kind of good news for the cannabis company. You can get some things into cost of goods sold. So that lowers your tax a little bit. And so what we found is many cannabis companies have tried to play a game with the IRS where they're trying to put everything into cost of goods sold. And so we saw many tax returns where a dispensary will have 3 million in sales and then they'll put on their tax return cost of goods sold 2.99 wow. <laughs> million. I mean, we see this all the time. 
It's amazing. That was the initial strategy people were doing in cannabis. They're like, okay, how do we trick the IRS or how do we beat the IRS at this game around 280E? And the answer is you don't. If you're going to lose, the IRS is winning case after case. For, and they're, they're not just winning penalties and fines and interest. They're slapping on huge $100,000 accuracy fees. And so to get ready for an audit, first and foremost, you need to be showing them that you're doing 280E and cost accounting right. Well, that's a problem because at least 90% of cannabis companies aren't doing cost accounting at all, period. As a matter of fact, in reviewing over 300 companies the last five years, I've seen maybe one or two that even attempted to do cost accounting. And so that's step one. But then the IRS digs in deeper and they're just finding lack of basic support. If you read the Alterman case, they showed transactions, they rebuilt their files and they the judge made a comment that their receipts for um, where they were buying their pot at this dispensary was from Home Depot and Lowe's. And the judge was like, I find it hard to believe that you are buying your marijuana at Home Depot and Lowe's wow. because they don't sell marijuana. <laughs> they dig deeper and deeper and deeper and they'll go as deep as depending on, on how good your records are. Now, Harborside just lost a massive case that's been going on over a decade that literally just in December and January came out, and they had massive losses around how they were doing things. Now, the one thing they didn't lose on was accuracy penalties because they actually had decent supporting records. And so they had a decent audit trail. So typically when, say, conversely, a different auditor, Price Waterhouse or whoever comes in to audit the financials for either the banks or the investors or for an exit, we help our clients and our students do the same kind of things those kind of auditors will look for. They look for inventory accounts, reconciliations of every single account on the balance sheet, like an AR aging that's tied out or AP aging or roll forwards for fixed assets and notes payable or equity. So we do all those from our audit days, we put all those systems in place. So when the auditors show up and they ask for the fixed asset roll forward, guess what? We've got it. It's there. We got depreciation calculated, right? So we don't have to go back and recreate it. But again, 90% of this industry isn't doing any of this stuff. There's, we have a huge need for accountants to come wow. into the space. Yeah, that's crazy to hear some of the things that they do to kind of get around the system. <laughs> well, and they're, I mean, that's a mistake too. They're trying to beat the system. But if you're going to try to beat the system, you should at least be doing your base level accounting right. That's step one. And even if you're doing it right, you may lose against the IRS and 280 because it is complex, but most of them are doing it wrong. So it's like you're just digging the yeah. hole deeper <laughs> to yourself. But we, we tell, I'm actually speaking in Oklahoma on Saturday this week to a big Green Grow Expo. And they called me out to actually talk on lessons learned from, we call it Cannabis 1.0 or whatever, Colorado, Oregon, the early people. And so I, I'm a big part of my speech is telling people that, look, the early strategy that attorneys and, and CPAs in the industry were pitching to Colorado was, here's how you win in cannabis. You beat the IRS, you create multiple entities, and you get around cost to get sold, and you do all these tricks, and you don't pay much tax. That is not the way to win in cannabis, and that's being proven out now. And so we tell people, CEOs in particular, here's the way to win in cannabis. If location matters, like it does for dispensaries, get a great location. 
make sure you build your market share and your brand and your name and your product. So whether you're growing pot or your dispensary, you build that brand and also be very well capitalized until 280E goes away. Because because it's going to be extremely hard to make net income these next few years in cannabis. But what you can do to hit a home run is you can survive by being well capitalized. You can build your market share and brand. And you can have a great location. And when 280E comes down, and even before 280E, we're seeing Canadian companies come in and buy dispensaries on pretty good multiples of revenue. So it's kind of like Amazon or whatever, that model of you can lose money and still hit a home run. That's a better model. Do taxes right. It's okay to lose money, but build these other things. And you can sell your dispensary or farm for a pretty good multiple. And I think even bigger multiples when 280E comes down, you're going to have the Budweiser's and Coke and all these companies come in and want to buy up assets and they're not going to care about net income or how it was under 280. Yeah. And I guess um, with that being said, what are some best practices and good habits? You know, these companies can start very early on to try to track the spend properly to make sure that they have all this audit trail and all this information for when that happens. First and foremost, hire a good accountant on the accounting side. And again, this comes back to the wealth capitalization I was CFO at Hi-Fi Farms. They're struggling right now. And I think what happens a lot of times, like that example, we raised, I don't know, five or six million and we really needed about 10 to 12. So don't be undercapitalized because you need a compliance officer from day one. You need to be setting those things up. We started down at Hi-Fi Farms doing lean methodology kind of out of the Toyota school. That's a great practice for both dispensaries and farms, kind of the just-in-time idea, and that helps manage cash flow. But again, to put those lean systems in place takes money and consultants and compliance. So if you have that money and you can put in place these processes, plus you can have money to spend on brand and advertising and marketing, that will help you as well. So you mentioned that there's no chart of accounts in cannabis. How do you think someone should be able to set that up for themselves? Well, I would suggest the easiest way is to either join our program or hire a dope CFO accountant, of which, again, there's about 200 of us around the U.S. That's the easiest way. If you want to do what I did, you can recreate one. And it's not so easy as just sitting down or creating a chart of accounts. I actually did that. I sat down on a weekend and created a chart of accounts probably spent 10 hours because uh, you don't need just one. You need one for a grow, for a chemical manufacturer, totally different, for a food production and one for retail and maybe one for a lab as well. So we created those, but then just by trial, it's like any software. It's not really software, but it's still something complex enough that we went through edits. We're like, oh, that's not working right because it has to work with the cost accounting and be fairly simple so that we can track 100 level cost, but also allocated costs. So for example, you want to track rent. So the CEO, say you're on a farm and 80% of the farm is for growing pot and it's huge barns. Well, 80% of the rent can be allocated into inventory and cost of goods sold and out of rent. And so if rent's $10,000 and you move 8,000 out, now your rent is 2,000. But then you show the financials to the investors and the owner and they're like, wait a minute, rented in 2000 I paid 10000 And so you want to be able to track the full gross value of the rent of 10000 but then also the cost accounting. And so we tweaked this back and forth over a couple of years, really, with many CPAs kind of gave me their two cents. And we, we have it to where it's really good now. But again, so you can try to recreate it. It will cost you 
thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of your time. And I looked for one myself, but um, at this point, we think we've got a pretty good one. And so I would say, if you do create one, make sure it works with cost accounting and your industry. So when cannabis companies go public or when they are seeking more financing from VCs, what do these guys usually look for when it comes to company finances that make them an attractive investment? Well, I think particularly now, since there's so much in the press of investors getting burned is really corporate governance, good board of directors, good legal setup. So it's not too complex. In the early days, we would see many of these companies set up with literally 30 entities and flow charts and trying to figure out which entity does what. So I would not be overly complex, good accounting again. So you need a good pitch deck and a good financial model behind that. I've done a lot of those over the years too. And so I think in cannabis, and it's this is similar to oil and gas too, when you look at commodity pricing, that's a huge part of the model is what kind of price you're going to get for selling your pot or in the dispensary. And pricing is all over the place. So Oregon, a lot of companies have gone under because of this. They built models on, they're like, oh yeah, indoor pot was selling for pretty stable for quite a while in the $2,000 a pound range. But the last couple of years, it's been selling for more like four or $500 a pound. And nobody put that in their financial models. And so what happened was they built these models based on, we're going to grow so many gazillion pounds of pot and we're going to sell to these high dollars. And so we're going to always have tons of positive cash flow. And so they undercapitalized. And so I think now people are a little more leery. Let's look at pricing and production and make sure they both make sense. And, and what happens in a worst case when production is slower than you anticipated because of all kinds of things around construction and whatnot, or pricing tanks and stays down for a long extended time, which it can happen until we get more into a national market, we'll get a little bit more of a stable price nationally. But um, right now the state walls are up. And so we have different prices. As you mentioned earlier, you know, the hype is still there, but now they're a little bit more wary. So it's really great that you said that. And I know another thing in pitch decks that they always look at team and you hear this over and over in podcasts like, oh, we invest in the person and whatnot. I think they kind of ignored that for a while in cannabis because a lot of these CEOs early on (laughs) may not have a great track record. It may not have it. So I think they would be smart to, yeah, make sure there is someone on the team that's actually run a successful company. Because I've seen several of these companies that are five and $10 million companies with a CEO that just have absolutely no history of running a company. And then you get into all kinds of other issues, just management issues and someone leading a company that's not cut out to do that. So how do you think the spend culture of cannabis will change in the next five years, given all the regulations and all the new players coming in? I think there's going to be a lot more capital coming in. And with that, it'll be good because it's going to draw a lot more accountants and more professionals into the space. And that'll bring in much better around the spend culture, more budgeting, more cash flow forecasting, lean methodology, all those kind of best practices will filter in. And eventually the software will catch up. There will be some winners and the word will get out, oh, this software works or that one doesn't. Um, And I think you're going to see on the accounting side, many, many more accountants, they already are coming in. Like some of the, like Markham and BDO, there are some bigger firms coming in now to the space that would not do it just a year or two ago. So I think that'll bring a lot more accountants. And if if you're an accountant wanting to get into a niche, there is nothing better than cannabis. 
for an accountant. It's We think it is the best niche. We have a lot of uh, aspiring accountants where accountants are looking to start off their own firms uh, in the audience too. So hopefully if you guys hear that, maybe that's something you can look at. Well, thank you so much, Andrew, for taking the time out of your day and speaking to us. I know a lot of the audience will find this information super helpful just because um, it's very hard to find this information out there on Google. As you've mentioned, it's such an emerging industry, but there are just so many things that you have to start considering early on if you're thinking of getting into cannabis. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Spend Culture Stories podcast, sponsored by Procurify. If you'd like to learn more about your spend culture, take our quiz at spendculture.com. Spend Culture.